0: Therapy Thursday is in effect. Come on, y'all. I'm so excited to be able to be before you once again. In the comment section, come on, let's let our first-time guests, our family, our new cousins, let us let them know how we feel about them. I'm grateful. Flowers is grateful. We are immensely grateful that you're here, that you are taking your growth, your development, your maturity um, uh, really seriously. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for the emails. Thank you for the text messages. Uh, it's encouraging and we are encouraged to know that we are making a difference in the lives of so many people around the world. Come on, in the comment section, let us know where you're streaming from. If this is your first time, let us know. This is my first time here. And y'all, let's show our new family how we feel about them. I'm excited for this Therapy Thursday. It's not a part two to our last time, but it does connect in some way because it deals with the matter of the heart. We're here for biblical therapy. We Everything that we do, everything that we talk about is filtered through the word of God. Amen. And so I'm excited that we we have this platform to be able to do this. I want to jump into today's word. I don't want to belabor the moment. But I want y'all to know that we are glad that you're here. Let's uplift someone in the comment section. Let's find one person whose name stands out and let us speak life over them. It's important. Our words have power. Let's speak life over someone. You don't know what someone had to hurdle in order to get here. You don't know the voices, you don't know the anxiety, you don't know the warfare that was waged toward them to prevent you and prevent others to get here. Listen, we're excited. God, in the name of Jesus, right now, I decrease that you might increase. We're here not for fanfare, not for popularity, not for religious, not for culture, we're here for kingdom. And God, we're here to hear from you. So speak to us, encourage us, convict us, give us direction, give us insight. Make our hard hearts fertile. Teach us. We submit to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said amen. Everybody said amen. All right. So last week, the last time I was here, I made a statement, um, a summary statement This that summarized our time together. Of course, I asked the question or I made the statement, if you really love me, right? And we talked about various things within that subject. And that premise was this, many times, many of us, if we're honest, we live our lives, especially from childhood to even adulthood, not having, Seeing a healthy representation or display of what love actually looks like. We have glimpses of it, but for the most part, we shape and our understanding of love is shaped from childhood. Our first love becomes our father or our mother, uh, depending if you are a male or a female, right? And for many of us, trauma in the household. Our mother and our father, they did the best that they could. We don't know what they had to endure growing up, right? But we leave home, according to statistics, many times emotionally underdeveloped. And nobody told us when we left home that we should put an asterisk beside, this is what love looks like. And so we leave home and we seek out people that represents stuff that we don't realize is unresolved. We think we understand what love is and we have this prism and this visual and we go trying to pattern what we came from or we overcompensate for what we did not have. We think we understand. And so we enter into a relationship and we repeat what we don't even realize needs to be repaired, right? And we recycle. Bad habits. I said I wasn't going to be like my dad and you find yourself just like your father. The habits, but you don't really fully understand what's going on in marriage, divorce, in another relationship or promiscuous or trying to find love in all of the wrong places, all of the wrong ways. We enter into relationships and we're the ones with our foot on the gas pedal trying to make love work, trying to make the relationship work. And it's not reciprocity. And we're upset with them when, in fact, we're really upset with how we chose. And then we go into another relationship under the same pretense because they gave us compliments or because they gave us attention. And then we say, this is the person, this is the man, because he gave you all of the right compliments. He's spoken to your life because you come from a home where they did not compliment you, did not put their arms around you and tell you how good you look or tell you how strong you are or tell you how loved you are. So we go out and we seek the very thing we did not have. We don't fully understand that I don't know what love looks like and we're embarrassed and we're angry because we keep repeating the same thing and all you hear is you need to heal, you need to heal, you need to heal. I don't know what healing looks like and how long do I heal? When do I heal? And then we rush. We say, I'm going to heal. I'm not going to go into a relationship. I'm going to focus on self and you focus on yourself just as long as there's not, how can I say this, an opportunity or a prospect And then as soon as someone shows us attention, as soon as that woman comes into the room, you start compromising, knowing the fact that, hmm, are you really ready to love again? Somebody type that. Are you really ready to love again? We don't realize that because we've never, many of us, I'm not going to generalize, but I, from my conversations, from my counseling and from my own mistakes and from what I read and from what you see in culture on television, it's its very evident that when you have not seen an authentic representation of love, then what you do is you live your lives subscribing to lust, to obsession, to infatuation or other variations of, or other toxic variations of love. But if we're honest, if we're honest, I've been repeating what I've seen. And we need someone to walk it down for us, to help us, to help us to unlearn. To deconstruct that house that we built in our mind, that altar in our mind of this image of what relationships need to look like. And this is how he needs to treat me. And you're really, what you're really saying is he needs to do everything my parent didn't do. Or what you're really saying is you're looking for a, a, not a nurse. A man usually isn't looking for a nurse. He's, he's, He's looking for a caretaker. So he, he will often look for a mother in her, a caretaker in her, and, and, and I will confess, I know me. I knew how I grew up and I knew how I lived my life. I was often attracted to other women's troubles or other women's problems because I got my satisfaction and my value in helping to fix what is broken and so that's why I learned that I was simply a firefighter. But here's the question. Could it be that you're not necessarily ready, your heart is ready to love again? And I know you might say, yeah, I'm not dating or I'm, I, I'm, I'm single. Not being single, man or female, with bitterness in your heart. Not being single and waiting on a, a specific time to say I was single for two years or three years or six months, because you could be single for three years and still no growth or maturity happen, right? But the question, because I counsel people who are married, I counsel people who are uh, desiring for marriage, I counsel people who are single. I've lived my life and I've experienced a lot of very a, a lot of different things. And here is the truth. Many times we're married to someone, and if we're honest, many people have been honest, I wasn't really ready to love again, but I allowed people to push me, I allowed my impatience to make me say yes, I've allowed the image of that's in my mind to force me to move. Let me tell you something. I want to give you five, six, or seven things to look at to determine whether or not you're actually ready for love or your heart is ready to love again. And when I, when I, in my own private time, I look at passages or I look at characters like Judah and Tamar. I want you to write this down so you can look at this, um, a biblical foundation um, of some characters in the Old Testament that you can look at the pattern in which they move. Even if we just focus on Judah and Tamar, And if we look through the lineage of Judah, even his children patterned themselves after him and he after his foreparents. Right. Jacob. And so. But think about this. If you look at Judah and Tamar in Genesis chapter 38, verse 14 and 15. I think when I just I can look at Judah and I can tell you that his his wife just died. He's not ready for love, but yet he's out there. Um, proposing and propositioning a woman because he sees her and she looks good, somebody type of lust, and he pursues her. I can focus on that. But I think what stands out is even when I look at Tamar, when you look at it, how she was so, she desired marriage and family and love so much, so badly, that she was willing to disguise herself and compromise her identity just to get what she felt she needed, desired, and was owed. And it just shows the power of when your heart is not right or your heart is hurting or there's trauma or if you're impatient, the lengths we will go to try to make a relationship, to make someone love you or to make someone to reciprocate what you're giving them. Are you really ready for a relationship? Are you really ready for love? Is your heart ready to love again? And this is what it reads. Tamar was aware that Sheila, um, the one who she was supposed to get married, had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing, And covered herself with a veil to disguise. Somebody type disguise. To disguise herself. I'm going somewhere with this. Then she sat down. Beside the road at the entrance to the village of Enam. Which is the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her. And sometimes all it takes is for him to notice. And then let's get married. But he saw her. Your eyes, man, the eye gates of a man is very important and very powerful, right? He saw her and he thought she was a prostitute because how she presented herself, how she carried herself, how she walked. He saw she was available. He wasn't trying to love her. He was just trying to get her, right? He was just trying to know her there is a difference. Just because he notices you doesn't mean that he desires to be with you as an item, right? But but we gotta know the difference because that's not love, that's lust. So look, Judah thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. So he stopped and propositioned her, let me have sex with you, he said, Not realizing she was his own daughter-in-law. How much will you pay to have sex with me? Tamar my And then he goes forth to give him, you know, his staff to give him his identity, to give him the things that you, you know, like he gave up so much just to sleep with her. Are you really ready for love? I'm asking you, you don't have to really want something packaged real cute, real nice, real neat. We come here for healing. We come here for help are you really ready for love? Are you? Like, you got to be able to ask that question and answer that question, right? You got to be able to answer the question whether or not you're really ready for love. And if you're not, let's look. Just let's, let's look at this. Let's consider this. Let's consider this. And another passage I want you to consider is... 1 Samuel chapter 18, because we're considering Michael, who is Saul's daughter, right? And what we understand about Michael is that the Bible says that she loved David. It never said that David reciprocated that. She saw him and she desired him and she allowed her desires to, to really pursue David. This is what it says. Chapter 18 of 1 Samuel verse 20. And then I want to get I want to give you some meat to go home with or to study and to sit with. It says, in the meantime, Saul's daughter Michael had fallen in love with David, and Saul was delighted when he saw it. So he can use her as a chess piece. She saw him, she fell in love with him and never said that they loved one another. And so I think what's important about this is understanding or even being aware. Do you know what love is? And are you ready, Michael, to actually be committed? Because if you knew what love was, you'll know that you probably did not love him. You were just intrigued. And attracted to him, but not interested in him. Because intrigued is the infatuation. Attracted means I want to know a little more because there is a little bit something more beyond the surface that I want to know about. And if you had gone through the relational developmental process and allowed your heart and your mind and your spirit to both be able to have a conversation, you would have known David was probably not your speech. Just being honest, you would have known that David had some tendencies who were just like your father, which is why you were intrigued with him in the first place, because he had some... Ten- he used you just like your father used you. Just learn the story. We got to read our Bible. He She loved him. And another one last one. You look at Judges 16. It says in verse four, sometime later, it says sometime later, right? That, that, um, that Samson, right? It says that Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the Valley of Sorek. It says that Samuel fell in love with her. It never said that she fell in love with him. And so I think this is powerful. I'm going to ask the question one more time. And let's have a conversation about it. Are you really ready to love again? And so I think this is this is what we look at. I'm going to give you a few things to consider. If we were sitting down having a conversation one on one or as a couple. I'll say these are some indicators to help you to understand whether or not you are ready for, for love or to love again. Not necessarily putting the onus on the other person if you really love me, right? But this is how you know if you really got the capacity, the competence, and if you're in a position to actually love. Number one, if you're able to be accountable. If you're able to, to be accountable. Somebody type that accountability. Because if you struggle with accountability, it's a higher prop- proper probability that you will become a liability. If you struggle with accountability, it's a higher probability that you will become a liability. I'm going to say it one more time. If you struggle with accountability, it's a high probability That you will become a liability. Accountability, although, is not just in a vacuum. Because when I say, Are you willing and able? Do you know how to be accountable? Accountability is one thing that's lost in relationships, which is why it goes south. It's not the main thing, but it's a very important thing. Accountability suggests. That you have awareness, because I talked before about behavioral change, begins with awareness, understanding yourself, knowing yourself, knowing your proclivities, knowing how you move, knowing your triggers, knowing your trauma, understanding you and understanding how you are perceived, understanding how you behave. It first begins with awareness. You can't be accountable if you're not aware. Right. So when I say to you, your heart, you and your heart are ready to love again when you are able to be accountable. Somebody say accountable, accountable, accountability. It's awareness. It's accountability. It's acceptance. And I said before, acceptance is learning to accept things as they are. Not that you got to control them in order for them to change. Not that, you know, one of the reasons why our behavior, our patterns, our habits don't change. Yeah, we are aware. Yeah, we're trying to be accountable, but we can't fully get to healing because the part about the acceptance. Have you really accepted that this is what it is? Your parents did what they did, or your spouse, or your or the your your former spouse, or your boss, were accepting it without trying to change the narrative, without trying to control someone, without needing someone to apologize. Can you accept it? Because when you can accept it, that's when you can put an action into place. That's when you can act. That's when behavior begins to change. But not even talking about those things. The main the main thing that I'm talking about is. Can you be accountable? That's number one. See, when you're accountable, you learn the difference between an apology and a manipulation. When you are accountable, you know how to apologize without deflecting. When you are accountable, aware, accountable, and then learning to accept and then action. But when you are accountable, you know what it means to apologize. I know, I know, I know. But some of us still don't know how to apologize. An apology is not, hey, I'm sorry for um, what I did. I'm sorry for hurting your feelings. Uh, But you... You know, you did speak to me that way. And so that's why I responded. Sounds like an apology. But what they're doing is what that's doing is deflecting. I'm giving you my reasons of why I asked instead of first just apologizing. I apologize for raising my voice at you. And for hurting your feelings. I'm sorry. That's an apology. What apology isn't, I'm sorry for raising my voice at you, for hurting. I'm I'm sorry I, I hurt your feelings. But you shouldn't have, you know, you know, responded to me the way that you responded to me. And I had a long day and you, you know, you just came at me this way so that, you know, like, so that's why, you know, I raised my voice. That's not an apology. That's deflection. Right. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty. It's e- because the many reasons outside of not knowing how to apologize, what we tend to do is we we don't trust God as judge. And so we feel that we need to vindicate ourselves. So instead of just apologizing and allowing God to be judge and to allow God to intervene and be God, I have to say I got to apologize so I can go ahead and tell you how I feel. That's not really accountability. That's number one. Number two, when you're willing to create, not only create, but enforce boundaries, somebody type boundaries. Now, let me give this to you. I want to spend a lot of time on this. You know that you're ready for love. Now I'm here to help you and allow God to help me. You know that you're really ready to love again. You're really ready for that next step when you can not only create boundaries, but enforce them. It's Everybody creates boundaries every year. Create boundaries, create boundaries, create boundaries. That's cool. You can create the boundary, but the question is, can you enforce the boundary? Can you enforce the boundary? And when I say boundary, I'm saying boundary with family, boundary with work boundary with friends boundary with hobbies and extracurricular activities say it again boundary with family enforcing boundary with parents with siblings with cousins nay nay them like can you not just create boundaries but can you enforce boundaries with, with your family, with work. Being a workaholic is a sign of trauma. But being able to create boundaries even with your work, with friends, and even with the time you spend doing the things that you love or the things that for you bring you you know, happiness and joy, that's cool, those things are great. But if you are going to enter into a covenant with, you, with another person, You have to be able to create balance. And every time you come home, every time it can't be you out with your friends. It can't be your family, you know, interfering. It can't be friends not knowing their role in your marriage, in your relationship. You got to enforce boundaries. Somebody type enforce. We do a great job creating the boundary, but many times we do a sorry job and we can do a much better job at learning how to enforce them. Meaning that people are not going to like you. Relationships are going to be severed. People are going to say things to hurt you. People are going to be disappointed in you. And if you have the if you have the people pleaser in you that has not been healed, then what you're going to do is create the boundary. And then you're going to choose to go back against the boundary, which means that people will never respect the boundary that you put in place. And the reason why people don't respect you or the boundaries you place is because you don't even enforce them. You expect for other people to enforce what you created. You have to enforce it and you have to know that it's not going to make people happy. People don't, people are not happy when you are protecting and covering yourself and your future. You're ready to love again. When, and it's gonna get better, watch this, when you're able to not only create but enforce boundaries. Now I got a few more. The third one is when your relationship with the Lord has moved beyond tra- transactional and surface. This is important, very simple, but we miss it. If I could tell anyone anything and I had one conversation with him, it's important that you focus on establishing and nurturing and growing your relationship with the Lord, right? Because entering into a covenant with someone else, that covenant can only truly thrive to the degree in which your relationship with God is established and thriving. Because throughout your covenant, you're going to have to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. When you are crucifying your flesh, when you enter into conflict, you don't avoid it. You enter it and you engage it, but you're going to need wisdom from God to help you when you all, you know, reach a stalemate. But if you don't have an established, growing, and and even thriving or relationship that has the, the ability to thrive, you're going to enter into a covenant and make the other person your God or your idol. This is important. You need and you must in this season, I'm talking to somebody you need to focus and you need to make sure that your relationship with God is established because you're going to find yourself needing that relationship in order to come back to the person with a different perspective with an apology with changed behavior because the Holy Spirit and God he 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 spoke to me and i and I can see in the Lord I'm talking to the Lord and the Lord is talking to me that's important all right now can i can I shift real quick I got a few more but I want to shift let me help you the fourth reason or the fourth thing you look at to determine whether or not you are ready for Love is when your last relationship and your past trauma is no longer in the front windshield, but it's in the rearview mirror. Let me change it. Let me say. Let me say it different. You know you're ready for love when your last relationship and your past trauma is in the rear view and not the front windshield of your life and your relationship. Say it one more time. You know that you're ready to love again when your last relationship and your past trauma is in the rear view, the rear view mirror, and not in your glove department, not in your passenger seat seat. Not in the glove box. but in the rear view, and that's a difference. being in the rear view indicates and communicates that you have addressed your trauma, that you've engaged your trauma, that that relationship is not you know raising its head because to be in the glove box to be in the passenger seat means that I'm just I'm just moving it aside. To suppress it is not addressing it. And if you don't address that trauma, that trauma will strangle the relationship at some point. And so I say to you, you know you're ready to love again when that past trauma, you have taken the time. Because here's the thing. We treat our trauma like our trauma itself is evil. We are afraid to engage our trauma, so we hide it. And the problem with that is our trauma is our life, is our emotions, is our heart trying to talk to us. It's trying to share with us a lesson that we need to learn. But the problem is we see our trauma And we don't even know the language our trauma speaks. And we don't know the lesson that the trauma is trying to speak to us. Our trauma is often talking to us. So when we suppress it, that trauma becomes a trigger. And when you say something and when you do something, then what happens is I'm triggered. And so we have to change our perspective about what trauma is. Your trauma, yeah, it's what happened, but your heart Your spirit, your soul is trying to deal with it, is trying to talk to you, is trying to communicate to you what happened and the lesson that you need to take from it. But if we silence our trauma, if we suppress our trauma and we hide our trauma, then our trauma is in the vehicle somewhere. It's in the relationship somewhere. And every time he says something, every time she does that thing that reminds you of what your mother didn't do, then you get quiet and you start stonewalling her. Or when he does something or tries to communicate with you or tries to be firm with you, you fight him. Because you don't know how to handle authority, because your dad wasn't there or your dad was there, but he was emotionally absent. So you don't know what it looks like for a man to be firm and loving, right? There's so much that happens here, but you have to know that you have to learn the lesson that your trauma is trying to speak to you. Somebody say, Face your trauma. Somebody type, Face your trauma. Because the person you date should not have to become your nurse, your physician, or any mortician. You have to learn how to have the funeral of your past relationship yourself. So that the person you're dating doesn't have to be a bystander, an innocent bystander, and a victim to what you are unwilling to deal with. You have to have the funeral which means you have to face your your relationship that didn't work, the relationship that took advantage. You got to face it. You have to do, you have to conduct an autopsy. You got to ask questions, what happened? And without always pointing the finger at the other person and discovering what went wrong and what I could do and what I can learn from this. And after you take the time of conducting an autopsy of your trauma, of your past relationship, then you can lay the relationship to rest and stop carrying it on your back. And then you grieve and then you leave. Grieve and then leave. So when your, re- when your last relationship and past trauma is in the rear view and not in the front, let me give you couple of more this one I believe it'd be helpful you know or if I ask the question are you really ready to love again then what I'm going to say to you is you're ready to love again when you become aware of your filters somebody type filters when you become aware of your filters and don't allow your filters to make decisions for you awareness 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 is the beginning of behavioral change. And you know that you're ready to love again when you are aware of your filters and you are able to, to prevent your filters of making decisions for you. What are filters, you ask? So filters can be two things. Filters... Um, How can I say it? Filter. A filter can be two things. It is something that we use to make others um, see us in the way that we desire. A A filter is something that we use to enhance or alter our appearance, and usually in the eyes of other people. That's one way, one definition or understanding of a filter. And that's not necessarily what I'm focusing on. But a filter is something that we use to enhance or alter our appearance in the eyes of other people. But another view of a of, of filter is the lens which we view or interpret something inaccurately. I'm going to say this, it will help somebody. The definition that I want to focus on of a filter and not allowing the filters to make decisions for us is understanding that we have filters. When I say something, you're going to filter it through your experiences and many times through your pain and through your trauma when we're triggered. And a filter is a lens through which you view or interpret something through your trauma inaccurately through your past experiences or your hurt. And so what I'm saying to you is when you become aware of your filters, how you view things, how you view your, how your pain has impacted how you see relationships. Or if I say to you a word like authority, if I say to you a husband can't lead his family and his wife well if his wife does not respect his authority, if she does not see and view his authority as from God, and if she is unwilling and unable to allow him to have authority over her. Ah, there we go. When I say authority, what did you hear? Hmm? When I say authority over her, what did you hear? Because there is a filter that you have, man and woman, Based upon manipulation, hurt, being taken advantage of, lying, betrayal, that has not been addressed. And even if it didn't happen to you, it can happen to someone else you know. And like secondhand smoke, it still is trauma for you. And so when I say, I can say a lot of things, but when I say authority over her, oh, oh. Now, I'm, I'm telling you what I know because I made because uh, um, I have some content and one of the contents that I put out there that went viral spoke about this and you had many men Man, I expect women to say to, to fight back because that's because you know a lot of women experience betrayal and, and manipulation at the word authority or even another word like submission when I say submission what do you hear? Do you hear what is being communicated or are you filtering it through your pain? or through your trauma. You got to know this. Oh, that ain't that ain't biblical. That ain't the word. Do you really know the word? Oh, a man, ha- watch this. You know, no, they, they got to submit to one another. That's true. Scripture does say that, but the scripture does also say that man is the head of his wife as Jesus is the head of the church. Therefore, we have to love the woman the way Jesus loved the church. All of that It's not just talking about submission, it's not talking about domination, it's not talking about dominion, but it is talking about structure. The man has to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can't be your your Lord if you do not respect and give him authority and submit to that. But if you view authority as power, dominion, as bondage. It's because there is something that has not been addressed. Because Jesus will not lord over you. Jesus will not force himself in your life and to be lord over your life. You have to see Jesus and allow him, you give him permission. And when Jesus is lord over your life, he does not dominate you. Actually, he loves you authority must be fueled by love and grace and so a man a husband when he has authority over a woman or his wife it's not his wife it does not mean domination it means if anything it means he has to lead through love he has to lead through grace like he has to lead the way Jesus leads His family, he has to lead the way Jesus leads and loves the church. But you can't hear Bible because culture and religious got you, right? You can't be kingdom and also be culture. You can't be kingdom and also be religious. You can't have them all. And so here's the thing, though. It will impact how you love. It will impact how you engage a relationship because I am unaware of my filters or I am aware of them, but I don't want to change them. The Bible says if we look in Ephesians chapter five, verse 21 through 25 and further submit to one another, man, husband and wife out of reverence of Christ Yeah, in a relationship, in a marriage. You both are in an ever process of submitting to one another because not only does a man have authority, a mantle that God has given him to be the head of not just his wife, but the home. But the wife also has a mantle and an authority in which God has given her to be able to lead and move about in the family. Everybody has been given a mantle, even the children given a mantle, and even a man has to appreciate and value the authority that God has given her to move and to be who God has called her to be to him, right? He has to accept that. And so there is so many nuanced things in here. It's just not, oh, you know, he's dominating, or I can't submit to, or I had men, and there are men who can't get with this. And this is biblical, and then it says in verse twenty-two for wives, this means submit to your husbands as uh, to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church; he is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so the wives, so your wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, authority flows through love. I talk more about this in our podcast. But what I'm saying to you is, is still this. When you think about, when you become aware of your filters and you don't allow them to make decisions for you, at least becoming aware of the hurt and what you've experienced. And so before you respond, you got to make sure that I'm not allowing that filter to keep me from trusting him or trusting her or to love her or to open up to her. Because if I say if if I say to a man, she's an independent, strong woman, that doesn't mean she doesn't like she doesn't desire love. It doesn't mean that she does not want to be married doesn't mean that she she doesn't want to to love you it doesn't mean that she's incapable of being loved or that she's too strong or that she's domineering because when i say that she's independent and strong what do you hear because you're filtering it there's a filter in which you are Seeing and hearing something you hear through your hurt and that impacts how you love and and, and move with people. And so what I'm saying to you is just because I say she is independent and strong. She is very capable of loving and very capable of submitting and very capable of of being empathetic and and being everything that God has called her to be in a relationship. So please don't allow your filter to make decisions for you. All right. All right. Let me let me give you this. The last two. Very simple. Number six, when you receive the gift of empathy and nurture it to health in your life. I'll say it this way. Empathy is a gift that that you ask God for. And when God gives you that gift, you nurture it. Empathy is our ability to decrease and at least see other people instead of or in light of even our own selves. It doesn't mean depriving yourself. It doesn't mean ignoring what you need. It means that in a relationship, in a marriage, that every decision you make, it impacts the other person. And being empathetic means that I'm always considering how my decisions impact you and how you feel. And I'm not always thinking about me. And that's balanced. It doesn't mean you're always thinking about other people where you're depriving yourself. But what I'm saying to you, you're able to, to, to you're, you're ready for love when you receive the gift of empathy and you're able to nurture it to life. Empathy is probably the number one thing you need in a relationship. You might say communication, but I will tell you that communication is important, but not as important as empathy. Because you can have the skill to communicate, but not the empathy, which is the desire to want to know the other person's heart. And so, if you have the gift, or if if you have the skill to communicate, but not the desire to know what the person feels or how the other person receives what you're saying, then you can say you can walk away and say, "I said this. I communicated this. I overcommunicated. That's cool." But did you ever consider that what you said, you know, how it impacted or how it landed? Did you ever really think of, although she said this, is that really what she felt? Are you listening to her words? Are you paying attention to her? And so that's why it is critical that in any relationship, in any marriage, that you do ask God for empathy. Empathy, if if communication is the key to any relationship, then empathy is the door that you actually got to walk through. Like empathy is essential. The last thing I tell you is this when you're capable of not viewing the other person as a project and not a parent, why would you save one of the better ones for last? Listen, you're ready to love again when, as you are considering dating. Is when you can view other people or that person not as a project that needs to be fixed, needs to be saved, needs to be made better, or a parent. Meaning that I'm going to position you transference, reaching my past, bring it to my present, and I'm going to make you have to treat me like a child. Because I need you to be the parent that was not there. I need you to love me the way that my mother did not love me. I need you to embrace me the way that my father didn't embrace me. And so you put this job description on the back of a person that you're dating and he or she never even applied for that job description. They ask to be your husband or your, you know, or they ask to date you or they ask to be in a committed relationship with you, not to heal your trauma for you. They're not called to be your parent and they're not called to be your project. They're called to be your partner. And if you can't see people as an equal partner and not as a project and not as a parent, It's a good chance that you're not ready to love again. And that's okay. It's not the end of the world. It just means that you want to take a little bit more time and investigate that trauma. Investigate what your trauma is trying to communicate to you. Have the funeral of that relationship. Be curious about why you respond and move the way you move let curious lead you down the path to asking God walk with me and help me get this thing right because I can't do it by myself Lord we thank you for what our words for what our ears have heard our eyes have seen and our hearts have felt I pray that something has been said that has helped your people and will help your people as they seek um, to become better lead us As you said, you will lead us and show us your will in Psalms 34 and 10. Show us your will. Lead our feet unto firm foundation in the name of Jesus. Amen. Appreciate y'all. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful day.